Hear Me. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. Every week, I will have a guest on the show to discuss different parts of the beer world. From brewers, importers, educators, this will allow us to examine the dynamic world of beer through different lenses. Whether you're new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. Welcome back, everybody, from the holidays. I hope um, everyone had uh, delicious drinks all around. Um, If you follow us on Instagram, there were a lot of posts of recommendations on what to drink while wrapping presents or toasting the new year. So definitely go check those recommendations out. Uh, But today, I'm very excited. We are welcoming on the show Michael Williams. He is the lead beer educator at Great Lakes Brewing Company in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Great Lakes has long been one of my favorite breweries. This is one of the this is the class of 1988, right? This That's is one right. of the breweries that the opened illustrious up. class of 1988. Yeah. <laughs> so these are these are um, major craft breweries in the U.S. that opened in 1988 that are still around today that really shape and mold uh, the craft beer world. Um, and today we're going to be talking about porters, um, which is a topic that I'm really excited about, and who better to talk about it with than somebody from Great Lakes. Um, and Great Lakes produces arguably one of the best porters, a, a benchmark of the style, the Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. Um, but before we dive into all that and and go into anything too deep, thank you, Michael, for taking the time to come on the show. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, Sarah Jane. We appreciate the uh, the invitation. So I, I, I would be surprised if no one's ever heard of a of, of, uh, uh, Great Lakes Brewing Company before, but just in case, can you give people just a little bit of synopsis on, on the brewery, why it's important, why it's so sure. wonderful, and, you know, don't, don't, you know, feign any modesty, just like <laughs> run, run with the, the hubris. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at that, yeah. I'm pretty good at hubris, so... <laughs> um. We got our start, as, as you just brought up, uh, back in, in 88, so we're 34 this year. Uh, I, myself, am, I'm running about three months ahead of the brewery, so um, also 34. Uh, I was going to say, I'll be turning 34 in September. So. There we go. It's a great, a great age, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so founded by two locals, uh, Pat and Dan Conway, who um, really enjoyed when they were on the European continent for school, you know, study abroad and all that, they had, you know, Czech Pilsner, Belgian Triple, all these wonderful, fresh, full-flavored beers you couldn't get here in the States at the time. And the very few options that were there imported were not very fresh. So they wanted to bring that fresh, full-flavored beer to Cleveland, Ohio, where we are located, and uh, started off as a little brew pub in 88 for our first uh, five, six years or so, just brewed on site, sold there out of the tap room, a couple hand-bottled six-packs here and there. God bless them for doing that back in the day. And then uh, 92, um, reputation for some quality liquid uh, earned us the opportunity to start distributing. So we upgraded to a larger system, um, started selling our beer throughout the state of Ohio, and then uh, continued on that slow, kind of slow and steady growth path, uh, making heralded brews like the Edmund Fitzgerald, uh, which won its first uh, GABF medal back in 91. And uh, so in 98, we were able to open up our current production facility, a um, 75 barrel system that is right in kind of downtown, more or less downtown Cleveland. If you're not from Cleveland, um, it's essentially downtown. So it's called Ohio City, um, the neighborhood we reside in right across the, the river from downtown Cleveland proper. And we've been brewing out of that facility ever since and went from... I'm sure the Conways themselves were surprised enough. They went from 
it was the 75 year old system. Oh, we got a couple of tanks, you know, we have more space than we'll ever figure out what to do with. And then um, all of a sudden we're number 22 in the entire country. Uh, yeah. So um, it's all about the liquid, of course. Right. So uh, the guys had that commitment to quality from the beginning. It's, it's shown forth in beers like Emma Fitzgerald, but then of course, some of the other legacy beers like Dormant of Gold, Burning River, uh, of course, our infamous last episode was about uh, holiday beers. I'm sure some people probably had some Christmas sale <laughs> over the past over the past couple of weeks. So, yeah, now it's an exciting time for us because uh, we're kind of like you said, we were one of those um, originators, right, of the industry, and now uh, it's our turn to. Um, we've always been about innovation, of course, kind of creating new fun stuff, but um, we're really starting to do a little bit more of that because our, our brewing brethren, many of whom for us in Cleveland, you know, worked for us and then went somewhere else. They're making really cool stuff at their spots and uh, we want to give our customers the same kind of stuff. So AZ IPA, we have a new tropical IPA, tropical crush release, citrus sweet and so on. So that's kind of the broad overview of where we are. Got the classics, got the new stuff going on too. So before we dive into Edmund Fitzgerald and and why it's, you know, such an important brew and a little bit of the history behind it. Let's dive into porters themselves. So, you know, this this show is actually inspired by, you know, kind of the recommendations that uh, we put forth on our Instagram um, of, you know, what to drink while wrapping presents, what to drink, you know, while toasting the New Year's, that kind of thing. You know, it really got me thinking about how wonderful porters are as as a beer style, how versatile they are, you know, the way that they're so kind of roasty, toasty, chocolatey, coffee, black pepper. They can go with so many different foods. Oh, and now you're now you're just showing off sniffing your porter there. That's right. In the video I go all, I go all in for my uh for my recordings, right? How can I talk I about the beer if I'm not sipping it? Right? I know, I know. But Although it's January, I gotta cut back, but you know, <laughs> gallery the holiday pounds are on. But but that all being said, I mean, these are really wonderful, versatile beers. The style itself lends it to so many different variations. And of course, especially with American brewers, there's so many different, um, you know, porters that have ad- adjuncts and there's a lot of different ones with cult following. So before we get too far down the porter train, um, I want to talk a little bit about the history of the porter style. So, you know, as the lead beer educator, I'll let you kind of give people a little bit of a, a synopsis on, on why porters are such an important style. For sure. So porters are, porters are a really fun. This might be like one of my favorites, maybe even my favorite like beer history, because it's the first truly like mass produced beer, which when people think of mass produced beer today, they do not think of a porter right <laughs> they think of something very different they think of industrial industrial american lager which is good for this the certain occasion that they're made for but or was the first um you know dark these dark beers became popular in the uk uh in the 1700s kind of an evolution of general brown beers that were available at the time most beers were brown in color because of malt kilning technology and all that Improvements with that allowed brewers to refine their processes and start making beers with some large amount of pale malt and then a little bit of, you know, uh, of course, black patent malt came around in 1817. 
and boom, right around this time when there was some advancements in brewing technology, there's also the entire industrial revolution going on at the same time, right? So um, this beer, which had become very popular amongst the working class, amongst people who worked at the many docks uh, present in London, uh, who were called porters, moving stuff from the ships to various businesses. This beer became very popular amongst that significant population. Combine that with um, just cities growing like crazy because of the Industrial Revolution and um, vast, you know, the ability for factories to just put out vastly larger quantities of liquid. Porter becomes the first mass-produced beer in the world, which is really cool, right? Because <laughs> definitely not what we think of today. So, and then from there, you know, it's inspired. Uh, it's still very important for us today. Uh, Porter is the Genesis, of course, of the stouts, which if you want to get into the whole porter stout thing, we can do that. We can do that later on. Um, but, you know, Irish brewers began brewing stout porters, um, stronger versions of porters. Because this, this was a relatively low ABV beer. I think, I think there's a common misconception when people think of porters, they instantly think of something that's like really dark and roasty and high ABV. But for the most part, Porters, you're you're not getting something that's incredibly like you know viscous or heavy or you know you're you're getting something that's a little bit um, you know on the on the side that wouldn't be so overpowering. Absolutely, yeah. That's it's the classic. Um, you know, your eyes can kind of deceive you, right? Don't be afraid of the dark and all that. As a as a tour guide back here in the day, we had that that sampling opportunity every single tour we did, right? Or just like the dark beer phenomenon generally, right? So like people would see someone else or if it's maybe someone else in their group and they say, oh, that's going to be way too heavy for me, way too way too strong for me. It's like, no, it's actually not. It's about the same alcohol content as the other beers. And if you like chocolate, then you'll probably like this, right? So, yeah. But then, yeah, for like the whole stout thing in particular too, um, you know, stout porter, stout is a... Um, a descriptor for porters indicating a stronger one, but then with all the crazy taxation stuff in the UK, then all the gravities for beers drop like crazy. So uh, the brewers in Dublin are making a stout porter that's now only 4%, right? And um, typical porter, you know, today would probably be something like five and a half, six percent something that's not terribly crazy in gravity. So, yeah, and then for today, I don't know, I guess historical significance when you get to, you're already kind of alluding to how we, we do porters today, right? Because it was, and sorry, before you go too far into the today, you know, something that I find very interesting is, yes, this was a mass-produced beer, but, you know, you think of mass production, and I think the first word that comes to mind is consistency, because you have these massive producers, like Anheuser-Busch is a great example, in that, yes, they're producing this beer, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of, of kegs a year, but it's going to be very consistent from, you know, you're consuming you're consuming Budweiser in, in Portland, Maine. You're consuming Budweiser in LA. It's going to taste the same. And that is no small feat from a brewer's perspective. Whereas with Porter, you know, in the, when, when you're producing beer in the, you know, 18th century, um, you're lacking a lot of consistency. So these beers were brewed and then stored in these big wooden tanks and then, you know, put into smaller casks, given to the pubs, and what you end up with is a lot of different casks of this beer that the pubs in turn had to end up blending themselves because you ended up with all these casks that 
tastes different. And so you're kind of mixing like the old with the newer stuff. Um, so it, it kind of is reminiscent of the Goza style in Belgium, where it's like you each pub became its own little like blender. Such a beautiful thing too, right? Like I wish yeah. we had, I wish we, to certain, certain parts of me wish we still had that, right? Because it's so cool. <laughs> Can blend I, a taste. Yeah. But I think like, you know, bar management now and like the history and, and yeah, let's get off topic here. This is fun. Um, like oh yeah. But, but <laughs> if you think of like bar management now, like everything is so prescribed, right? Right. You Absolutely. have beer arriving at a very specific ten- temperature. You're storing at a very specific temperature. You're serving at a very specific temperature. And there's no really, there's no opportunity for like, like in no world would you ever blend kegs. Like it just doesn't. Right. And I, I think, I think pretty much. Yeah. I think it'd be a unique unique place that I would want to go to just to try it out. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or I I feel like. Although you wouldn't have the opportunity probably. Right. Yeah. I I feel like the, the only, um, you know, thing that I've seen that allows somebody on the service side of beer to get creative has been, um, was the tool that Dogfish Head came out with? It was like the Rattler or something like yeah. that. Oh my goodness, Randall, the Randall. Randall, yeah, yeah. where yeah. it allowed right. the beer to go through a mechanism kind of close to the faucet where, you know, you could add different hops or or flavors. And that's the that's the only thing that I can think of in modern day where the the person who is serving the beer had any amount of creativity as far as, you know, what the finished product would look like. Pretty much, yeah. For the service person, absolutely. That's pretty much it. I, I've got one Maybe at home. casks? Casks, yeah, but even still, that's the brewer gets to have all the fun with the cask, right? Yeah, they're, they're the ones fair. who get to drop in the... And the infusion kegs are around a little bit too, right? But um, when it comes to the actual publican, if you will, uh, we don't have as many opportunities as we used to back in the day. I've definitely put some uh, some coffee beans in a, in a Randall and poured some fits into that Randall and it's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Enhance so the coffee a little bit. With it. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but, you know, as things progressed with Porter, um, you know, there are a lot of developments that happened because of that beer. You've got the thermometer, um, the, and I'm rusty on, uh, sure. brewing hydrometer. Equipment. Hydrometer. Probably. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm like thinking yeah. like, huh, huh. Yeah. Um, right. All the ometers. <laughs> right. So many ometers came from Porter. Yeah, right. um, so, you know, as you kind of fast forward into more modern brewing, um, you're still getting something that is produced in large quantities, but with definitely more precision. I mean, the benchmark for, you know, like an English Porter for me would be the Fuller's um, London Porter, right? And then when you get to American producers, the the first porter that kind of came onto the scene was with uh, Anchor uh, Anchor right. Brewing Company, right? Mm-hmm. So you get the first for everything. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it in the in, including in the, porter yeah. in porter in, in the in the yeah. early seventies? Yeah. So right. can you kind of take us into you know what modern porter production looked like in the U.S. and kind of how that how that's morphed? You know, it, Anchor was starting from nothing, right? Those guys, just like all the other true originals in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, basically had to completely draw on existing traditions so they could create something that was more interesting and flavorful 
for their own palates, right? Because there's nothing here. Uh, maybe there is... The Yinglings still made a border, probably, right? But that's not really what they were looking for at that no, time, I think. So. It's, not, it's not anything that kind of stuck for them, I don't think. Yeah. So they looked at English, um, probably, probably because it's language they understand and, you know, quicker, ale fermentations being quicker. And draw on uh, the descriptions of those styles and looking at some brewing logs, but substituting American ingredients instead, right? So not necessarily importing fuggles and goldings and stuff like that from the UK when Anchor can just go right up the coast and grab some, you know, well, they use Northern Brewer a lot for steam beer, so I'm sure they're using Northern Brewer for their porter too. Yeah. Um, and, and then that the, kind of... These are the hop varietals for the for listeners. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> hop varietals used. Um, and then just American versions of whatever the British malts would have been, so probably just caramel malts instead of crystal malts or what have you. Um, sourcing from more local monsters, but having a lot of the same general flavor realm, right? Just using those American ingredients. And then that's pretty much, we've we've just taken that from there. So um, Anchors, I think, is one they make all the time. Other brewers like us, you know, we have a porter in our year-round lineup. Some brewers have it as a seasonal for, it's very cold right now when we're recording. <laughs> At least in Cleveland, it's very cold. It's yeah. 15 degrees outside. So a lot of brewers will do dark beers, of course, make so much sense for the winter and all that. Um, and as you were alluding to before, something that I am, obviously I love history. Um, if you can't tell from this already. Um, but I also am just a total sucker for like contemporary, crazy, like dark beers that have five different adjuncts thrown in to make it taste like tiramisu or something yeah. like that. Also think, completely cool. Yeah, like um, who had really fantastic porters? Evil Twin always had really super fun porters with all these crazy, crazy list of adjuncts. And it always That's panned right. out. Oh, yeah. It always right. panned out. Right. Um, Famous for like six lines of copy on the label or something. Right? Yeah. And it's always, <laughs> it, you know, it was always things that, I mean, look, and and the reason why I love Evil Twin so much is because they can still do like a, a really fun, delicious, clean beer with like, you know, four ingredients, they can still nail it, but then they can also kind of go crazy and have fun with it. Um, but I think as far as like adjuncts in a porter, that's usually one of the only ones that comes to mind that really nails it. But when I'm, when I'm thinking of like benchmark style American porters, you know, the, the ones that kind of come to mind are Deschutes, Allagash has a really great one. Um, and then of course, Great Lakes, Edmund Fitzgerald. So let's talk a little bit about Edmund Fitzgerald and, and why that is such a significant and wonderful benchmark for the style. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our classic beers, and it still translates into more recent ones too, but like balance is always huge for us at Great Lakes. So and I'm sipping on a, on a Fitz right now. Something I love about it is it's got everything that you would look for in a pour, which you kind of alluded to before. Um, probably coffee, chocolate, a certain distinct roast character, sometimes a little burnt, but not in an unpleasant way. No, like a like a cracked black pepper kind of way. Sure. Yep, yeah. totally. Totally. Yeah, I like that black pepper descriptor. And then um, sometimes a little dark fruit and stuff in there too, plummy raisin type stuff. So Fitz has got all that going on, but none of that is, is going to totally overwhelm your palate. So it's um, it's dry. Right. This is as much as I love the dessert beers. Um, 
especially for a, a sipper for ship beer time with, with coworkers and all that. A beer like Fitz is something I'm going to go for more right now than dessert beer because it has that drinkability. It finishes low enough in gravity. It's got some bitterness. It's 37 IBU, so solid for a porter. That roast character, there's roast barley in there, so that roast character also helps kind of um, gives it a sharpness that makes it a little bit more drinkable as well. So it's got all the elements you're looking for in a porter and good harmony, good balance, high level of drinkability translates to essentially being a benchmark. It's in BJCP, so, you know, yeah. check. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I've always, like, for for beer pairings on that, I always, because for me the, the cracked black pepper comes through so much, I always immediately think, like, okay, well, what food would a waiter come over and say, can I offer you some cracked black pepper? And that's the food that I want to drink that beer with. So pastas, steaks, heavier, like beefy, like Caesar salad or something like that. Like the beer works with all those things because you're already going to be finishing it with cracked black pepper. And that's kind of like a, a cheat, a cheat that I've used in my mind with, yeah, with that's that. Great. <laughs> I just, I did some cracked black pepper over like an Alfredo linguine, like sometime in the blur that was Christmas. Yeah. And man, Fitz would have been really good with that. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and can you share with um, the significance of the name? Oh, of course, yeah. So the Evan Fitzgerald was uh, the largest freighter on the Great Lakes a couple of decades ago. I think it was commissioned in the 50s. It was basically considered Titanic-like. Um, Except know, it floated. Just, it, still, it stayed afloat. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Uh, but then it didn't, right? That's the problem, right? <laughs> so on November 10th, uh, November 10th, um, 1975, the ship, uh, totally unreal, tragically, sunk in Lake Superior, and it was apparently a perfectly clear day when the ship set sail that day. Some crazy storm came out of nowhere until they waved it out. Um, there were 29 crew members aboard, and uh, probably about a third of them came from the Cleveland area. So there's a lot of connection um, for us with the ship. Um, and it goes a further level for us in that the Conway brothers, the, the co-owners I mentioned before, they were um, good friends with the son and the first mate. And so when we were kind of imagining what to name our porter, thought kind of like that dark and stormy scene that um, the Fitz probably would have been experiencing when, uh, when she went down. And uh, we got the personal blessing of Jack McCarthy to name the Port of the Evans Fitzgerald. So uh, it's very much a tribute to those crew members, especially the ones that, um, you know, especially because so many of them came from our area that's really close to home for us. Wow. That's a beautiful yeah. story. And then people ask us to sing Gordon Lightfoot and stuff, and I say no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Every tasting, we always end with fits, and then Gordon Lightfoot comes up, and I'm like, nope. Nope. You sing it. Yeah. Someone else sing it. It's like, I feel like I've done enough song and dance for you on one tour, you know, exactly. to not have to do a musical yeah. number at the end. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, but very much a tribute to the crew. We just get some interesting comments and we always remind people it's, it's totally a, um, in tribute to these people who lost their lives. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's beautiful. And it, I mean, what a, what a tribute to the memory because it's, it's in every beer style benchmark educational Absolutely. tool that exists right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that, um, you know, you mentioned at the top that Great Lakes Brewing Company has a lot of, you know, innovation. It's a big push for you all. And, you know, you have these really wonderful benchmarks and you have a lot of 
you have a really strong foundation, but is there anything kind of new and exciting coming down the pike for you all? Sure. Yeah, there is, which is really cool. Big stuff for us right now. So with this, we just talked about um, one of the best wintry kind of beards out there. Another great one that is just hitting for us right now is our Irish Red. So another super traditional styles, which is one of our seasonals right now. So it's called Conway's Irish Ale, named after the grandfather of the co-owners. Um, so that's everywhere. You know, you all find it down there in Virginia, um, wherever else throughout the Great Lakes region. We're in 14 states uh, in D.C., so um, I would imagine most of the listeners are probably in a distribution market. So keep an eye out for Conway's. Awesome, you know, malty, toasty, um, bread crust, just a little bit of raisin in that one, too. We have, uh, I mentioned, alluded to this tropical IPA called Tropicoastal that's um is rolling out right now. Um, we've had cans here in Ohio, um, but those are starting to roll out to the auto markets too. So that's something I'm really pumped about. The can looks like exactly where I want to be right now. It's got palm trees and sunset and all that stuff. And you know, it's got like, it's, it's got, it's very light by with like pineapple notes from um, contemporary American hops and all that. So, and uh, lastly, the beer that I'm going to be drinking a lot more of over the next two months, once I lose my holiday weight, is called... <laughs> Crushworthy, which is a citrus sweet, which is kind of, it's it's sessionable, 4%, happens to also be low calorie and all that as well. So um, natural orange and lemon in that one, and it's crushable. It's called Crushworthy for a reason, for multiple reasons. So, Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and taking time to kind of take a geeky dive into um, Porter. And for listeners out there who, you know, maybe we sparked your interest a little bit on the historical side of things. There is extensive, extensive amounts of articles and literature and and all kinds of deep dives that you can go in um, historically on this style. We have merely scratched the surface. We have given you the Cliff Notes version of this. There is some there's some serious deep dives that you all can do if this is something that's really exciting to you all. So I urge you to definitely check it out. But thank you so much, Michael. And, and for listeners, please always... Um, seek out some of these new and exciting beers. You know, of course, when you pick up your six pack of Eddie Edmund Fitzgerald, you know, you'll just, you know, get an extra pack of whatever they've come out with recently. That's, <laughs> we like that. Yeah. That's the there goal. <laughs> definitely um, buy some more Fitz too. Yeah. Definitely buy some more Edmund Fitzgerald. And as always, thank you all again for listening. Feel free to reach out on Instagram at BeerMeRadio um, or via email, BeerMeRadio at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, give all the stars everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, But otherwise, we will see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.